Welcome to Forward, where we celebrate and amplify the voices of writers from all walks of life who provide queer representation in their young adult novels. I'm your host, Steve LaBelle, and I'm thrilled to have you join us today. On this show, we'll be diving into the diverse and dynamic world of queer young adult literature, exploring the stories, experiences, and insights of authors who are making their mark on the queer literary landscape. From best-selling authors to emerging talents, we'll be talking to writers who write across various genres, including fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and more. In each episode, we'll hear from our featured author as they share their journey, their writing process, and the themes and messages they convey in their work. We'll also explore the challenges and triumphs of being an author in today's literary world and the impact of their writing on the LGBTQ community and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Forward. Today, I have the amazing upcoming Robbie Couch with us. Welcome, Robbie. Thank you so much. I'm so stoked to be here. Yeah, I'm stoked that you're here too. Um, a little California there, right? With the, the stoked business. Right. I think that might be a that might be a West Coast thing. Yeah, it, it is. That's all right. You'll be hearing me say wicked all the time. So it's the <laughs> East Coast for me. So you're good. <laughs> love it. So, love it. Tell us a bit about yourself and who you are. Yeah, so I am an author of young adult books, um, books that are definitely queer uh, and very gay. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, grew up in small town, rural, rust belt sort of town, um, just outside of Flint, Michigan, which you may have heard so, about. The, yeah. So if we right. look at the hand, yeah, yeah right. The hand. Yes, exactly. Like a hour, hour and a half north of Detroit-ish near Flint. Um, right. And yeah, I started writing when I was really young age. And I think being a closeted gay kid, really, I leaned on storytelling a lot to kind of escape. And and it, it kind of became a form of therapy for me through the years to be able to mm -hmm. read books and kind of fall into stories. And I started writing a million novels that I never finished. <laughs> um, but it really, really inspired me to to go in this trajectory to to be a storyteller, to be an author. Um, I went into journalism for college, which wasn't necessarily a bad choice. It just as I got older, it just I realized that this sort of stories that I was telling in my more media journalism focused job, they weren't the sort of stories that I really wanted to write. So in 2016, I started writing my first novel, The Sky Blues. And um, yeah, the rest is history. Now my third one comes out next week, under under a week away. I know that it's, I'm super excited for that one too. Um, if I see you again tomorrow, because I, yeah. the first book I read of yours was the sky blues and knowing that you've written so much in your time and your history as therapy, why sky blues? Why is that the story that you chose to, to publish? Yeah. Yeah. I felt like it, it's, it's funny because I, I spent probably at least six months just in the ideation phase and there were mm -hmm. so many different versions of the sky blues sky the character that became sky originally was like a secondary character there was like a straight girl as the lead at one point okay. like it's, it's changed so many times um and so i think it just through the months and years that i worked on the story it kind of just fell more and more in line with my own 
not only just my own experiences, but just sort of the story that I really wanted to tell. And and it really, I started to think about the different themes that I wanted to focus on, mm-hmm. um, especially being set in like a small town in Michigan. I always say the Sky Blues is sort of autobiographical-ish in that Sky has very different experiences in high school than I did when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some similarities and the world around him um, the, the setting, the sorts of people he interacts with was very much informed of, by my own upbringing and childhood spent in small town Michigan. So it, yeah, it just felt like the right, uh, the right book for me to kind of to write first and to kind of get out there. Yeah, so you in hearing you in talking about how much of a connection you have with your stories, is, is there a character that is you? You would say in any of your books so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would probably say Sky is the closest to that. Although, as I mentioned, it's like we we have had such different experiences. I was I was closeted in high school. Sky is out of the closet in high school. He um, is dealing with uh, family rejection at home. His mom's not mm-hmm. supportive. I have very different home life than Sky did. So you know we're different in fundamental ways, but I still feel like there's a lot of kind of the spirit of sky and and his uh his personality i think there are some over there's some overlap there so probably more than more than blaine bowers who i love so dearly um who is the the main character of my second book um mm-hmm. and clark huckleton who is the lead of my third book i also love to the moon and back but yeah i would i would say clark or excuse me sky has has the most um yeah, kind of connection to to who I am as a person. Oh, that's awesome. So knowing how how you tell these stories, what and you really focus on theme and how do um what do you hope people uh, readers take away from your stories? Yeah, um it's a good question because I it's it's interesting because I never want it's it's funny. I always write books with like this is what I want to say. And this is the story I want to tell. And these are the themes I want to highlight. But then I think the beauty of, of books and, and really any story, but I think especially books is that different readers take away something different. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, not to sound like Lady Gaga with that, like there's a hundred people in the room quote, but a hundred readers could take away a hundred different themes or, um, or things that kind of stood out to them. Um, it's always interesting and funny after a book comes out to see what especially resonates with readers because it's sometimes I'm not surprised but other times I have been like oh yeah this is definitely sticking out as something that people um are really like holding on to um so yeah so it's kind of tricky to answer but I think one of the big things that I underscored in the story was this idea of of course being queer in a small town and and the journey that sky goes on to Mm self-acceptance and how that kind of parallels with his own community where there's racism there's homophobia there's a lot of bigoted attitudes but there's also a lot of badass people who stick up for him who are who you know are by his side thick and thin um amazing teachers and so I think I kind of wanted to highlight that aspect of small town America too, because I think that that sometimes gets overshadowed by the loudest voices in the room, which are not always the most um, representative of the communities that they're in. So, yeah. No, right on. I, I wicked appreciate you talking about 
how every person could take something away differently. That That's what I talk about with my students a lot. We're, we're all guided by different personal experiences that directs our point of view on life. And we have to about you could it's okay to disagree with them, but really appreciate the point of view and, and where they're coming from. But at the same yeah. token, you really have to kind of think about yourself too and being more open-minded and question not being so firm with your own beliefs too at times. Right, exactly. Yeah, I th- and I think the more the older you get and the more open you are to just meeting different people and their experiences, the more that hopefully happens naturally. But yeah, totally agree. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm, I've hit 40, so I totally get, like I'm becoming more open-minded now. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So what, what advice do you give, would you give to, to people wanting to tell their stories whether they're LGBTQ plus or whether they're, they're straight or whatever, why, what advice would you give? Yeah. You mean like if they want to write a story, like authors or storytellers? Yeah. Yeah. If they want to be storytellers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I think, I think the main thing, especially not, not only with LGBTQ storytellers, but just in general, but Mm -hmm. especially with LGBTQ uh, storytellers, (laughs) I would say um, don't be afraid or hesitant if the story you're trying to tell doesn't already exist or kind of feels like you're going into uncharted territory because I do feel like there's still, we've made great strides in kind of expanding all the different stories that are getting published and, and not just getting published because you know there were queer stories 30 40 years ago of course but it it was a matter of how accessible they were where they were on the bookshelves if they were being promoted by the librarians or the books whatever if if big publishers were buying them so um we've made really big strides forward but there's still so many stories um especially from marginalized groups that aren't getting told and I think sometimes if you're a part of one of those groups, it can feel like, well, if it doesn't, if, if a story like this doesn't already exist out there, is there a marketplace for it? Will it get passed on? And I think um, don't let that be a hindrance because once you become that person to write that story, more will follow. And there'll be so many people out there who will be so appreciative that you are the first and that you are blazing trails. So um, yeah, write the story you want to write that really feels true to your experience in this in the story that you want to tell no that that that's super awesome um you're right just don't be afraid take the risk and tell your story because your version is is special because it's your own point of view so yeah no right on and and you're you're right in that more lgbtq plus books are coming on the shelves you're you're hearing about them more more than we'd have 30 years ago and i think that's why I've gotten into this phase of reading all these young adult books because I wish I had these books growing up and being an educator, I'm noticing now there there's so much controversy with these titles being in public school libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do you feel about what, what's going on uh, with school libraries and these book bannings, if you will, that are happening? Yeah. I mean, they're, awful <laughs> um and it's it's interesting because I think the conversation has shifted I remember even just a couple of years ago there was sort of not necessarily like a official like movement or anything like that but sort of just conversations floating around like do teenagers today need queer, queer representation just because there's 
there's such a different generation and there's there's so mm -hmm. much more open and how important is representation if they already have it quote unquote yeah and I always felt like that wasn't the right approach to thinking about it um but I think in the past few months slash you know year or two especially with these book bans with these very concerted efforts from um the right to get these stories off of bookshelves and make them um, not accessible. I think it really underscores that, yes, we still do need these stories now more than ever. Um, I believe, you can fact check me, but I believe 2021 was the most banned books either on record or in like several decades, oh, which wow. is, okay. um, yeah, which is horrifying. And most of those books are by people of color, by LGBTQ mm -hmm. authors, especially trans and non-binary authors who are kind of taking the brunt of a lot of the bigotry right now. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really tough. We need these stories. And I think, yeah, if you are, especially if you're a young queer person out there, your story matters and we want to hear it. And you, you hopefully are not too discouraged by a lot of the noise around these bands because I believe, and I think I'm right, that there's far more of us who are rooting for you to tell your story and want you to tell your story than the other way around. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like what you talked about with uh, the, uh, the Sky Blues and that small town vibe. It's those voices that you hear the most might not be representative of what it, the world actually believes. Exactly, for sure. And I think too, it's, um, I, encourage folks who are seeing this sort of rhetoric in, in their own towns, or maybe they, you know, heard about the school board meeting or whatever, where there was some yep. local parents upset about books. I think it's, it's tough because I think it forces people to kind of be out of their comfort zone, but show up to those meetings, be the voice that says, that says, actually, no, I want my child to have access to these stories, regardless if they're queer or not, because it's important. Yep. Um, and I think it it bothers me that sometimes, quote unquote, family values is something that's sort of been framed as something, not to make it political, but it kind of is political. It's kind of framed as something on the right as falling under conservative values when my perspective is, no, I think family values is inclusivity and making sure we have these sorts of stories. And I think I would just encourage parents and educators to yeah, find that backbone, even though I know it's tough and to speak up and to make sure that those very loud voices in the room um, have other voices pushing back on them. Yeah, no, I, I wicked agree. We're almost at like a turning point, right? So we had, weird to say mid-century, but we're thinking about the atomic family. It, mm. It's changed now. It's evolved. I feel like back in the 1990s, having divorced parents was taboo. And now we're kind of getting to that point where having queer uh, parents and just being more open-minded with that, like the, the definition of family and the values within a family are starting to change as a society. Um, and we're kind of Absolutely. seeing that pushback. Yeah. So what do you say to like a, a young adult, your readers, like who, who are nervous about speaking out and, and a school board meeting might not be accessible to them. Like how, how, what would you recommend for them to make sure that their voice is heard? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's a tough question because I think it really depends on the person in the situation. And I think especially if you're 
a young queer person who's, you know, still a minor and you're living with your parents or in an unsafe environment, I am very hesitant to to encourage them to like stick their neck out and go bold because a lot of those environments can be unsafe um, yep. and dangerous. And so I would encourage young people to not do anything that feels like it would be unsafe or or put them in a position that feel, you know, feels that way. Um, but I, I would really challenge more so the adults and the systems in, in those places who, um, even, even if you're not, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people are so turned off by a lot of the political divisiveness and the rhetoric yeah. that they're hearing. And, you know, they might kind of fall in the more moderate lane of everything and yeah. I get that. But I also would really encourage those folks to really step up those adults in those in those areas to to step up and to make a difference um because that's what really matters i don't think we can we should rely on kids to be the ones who are kind of leading the charge on this um but i i guess to answer your question more directly if there are ways that kids can step up in their communities or in their schools that does feel safe like maybe starting a small group like a GSA or something like that, or, or talking yeah. to teachers about these sorts of subjects that um, they feel safe around. Like even just a small thing like that can make a really big difference, I think. What if, a, what if it's uh, a student or a, a young adult that is that looks up to you as a role model, they come to you and they're, they're thinking like, hey, I, I think I'm queer, but, and that adult has never ever had a conversation like that like what what resources or how do you feel that adult should support them yeah um I think um, the the first thing should immediately be responding with love and support and um really excitement and mm -hmm. just and making sure that every every everything you're saying to that that student Every, even your body language, the way you're yep. re reacting to it should be affirming and positive. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, blow it out of the water and act like they're hearing the biggest news ever, but just make sure that your, your response is affirming and positive. And that's okay. If you don't have all the answers, most adults don't have all the answers. Yep. Um, so I would say in that immediate um, response, that's the most important. And then in, in terms of I think next steps, it sort of depends on the student and, and where they're at. And, you know, they might not be in a place where they want resources. Maybe they do. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's regardless if, you know, if you're an educator or whoever you are, even if it's never happened to you before, I think it's really smart to kind of have in your back pocket some awareness of what sorts of organizations or resources exist, both locally at your school or in your town and then other like national organizations that um, have a ton of resources like GLAD and the Human Rights Campaign and the Trevor Project and there's so many LGBTQ organizations that do have resources for the community broadly but then also for um, for different age groups so um, yeah I wouldn't wait to have a student come to you and come out to you but also but be prepared to share those sorts of resources with, with the student. Oh, for sure. And think about a, a young adult, that shy young adult who's quiet, still trying to figure out if they're queer outside of, of your books. What other authors, what other books would you recommend? Like your must reads for, for queer YA? Yeah, oh my gosh, so many. Um, 
I, I feel so lucky the past couple of years to have gotten to meet some of the authors that I, you know, had been reading for years. And then it's like, oh my gosh, we're doing a book event together, a panel together, it's wild. <laughs> um, Julian Winters is the name that um, jumps out. He's had a bunch of books. Um, Running with Lions was the first book I read of his, uh, which was so great. He's done a lot of contemporary and rom-com and, and very queer and, and LGBTQ themed young adult books. Um, Becky Albers Holly, uh, yes. who wrote uh, Love, well, not Love Simon, but Simon versus the Homo Sapiens <laughs> Agenda, um, and many other books. Um, and also has a book coming out, I think, in a couple weeks. Um, Adam Silvera is a good friend of mine who has written so many amazing books, including the one that's, you know, still blowing up the bestseller list, The First to Die at the End. They, they both die at the mm -hmm. end. Um, oh my gosh, Dahlia Adler has written a lot of um, sapphic young adult novels. So Leah Johnson, the list goes on and on. Um, so yeah, there's there's so there's so many, and I think um, yeah, I would encourage both you know queer teenagers, but then also like straight teenagers and straight parents to also like have those sorts of books ready for their kids. You don't have to be queer to read queer books. So. Yeah. No, wicked. Like that's a wicked good point, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. growing up as queer kids, we've been reading straight books our entire lives, and they're in appreciating their stories. Like it should be the other way around too. Yeah, it was so cool. I remember within a month or two, I think, of the Sky Blues coming out, I saw a comment, and I I can't even remember if it was something I posted or someone else posted, but it was about the Sky Blues. And it looked like a like a teenage boy. And I remember clicking on his profile and going to his page. And I won't assume to know his sexuality for sure, but it was pretty clear that this was a straight, a straight teenage <laughs> boy. And it and uh it said that and he loved the book. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great that um that a straight, that a straight teenager, especially a straight boy, would read a book about a gay boy and and like it and relate to it in some ways and maybe not relate to it. In, all the ways but that's right. obviously totally fine um so yeah i would definitely encourage that <laughs> oh that's that's awesome and and speaking of, of books and things you have to read could you tell us more about your upcoming book if i see you again tomorrow yeah yeah, yeah. i'm so excited for it um comes out <laughs> on tuesday although i don't know when this is coming this podcast is coming out so <laughs> the dates may be off but um yeah it comes out april 18th and um it is about a, so Clark Cuckleton is trapped in a time loop. And right when you meet him at the beginning of the story, he's already been trapped 309 repeating days. So he's very, he's not in a good place. He's very lonely. He's pretty hopeless. He's yeah. filled with anxiety around never escaping this time loop. And is sort of kind of, in a certain sense, is given up and just kind of going through the motions. Um day 310 the next today that he wakes up there's a boy in his math class that kind of appears out of nowhere his name is Bo and he's immediately drawn to Bo um even beyond just having Bo be like this new person in the time loop that's already very weird to happen he feels this very human connection with him so they go on this very fun crazy adventure through Chicago together um but then the next day when Clark wakes up you can't find Bo and Bo where Bo is nowhere. Oh my gosh. Found. Yeah. So he's now he's like, oh my gosh, where is Bo? Who could be the love of my life? Because he's fallen pretty hard for Bo. But he also feels as though Bo could have 
some of the answers to escaping the time loop and getting to tomorrow. So this really makes it his mission to to find Bo and to get some answers. Oh my gosh. I wish it wasn't uh, April 18th now because I'm dying <laughs> to know what happens. Like I love stuff like that. That's great. Oh, oh thank cool. you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really really stoked a lot of the feedback I've gotten from advanced copy readers have, has been really positive and really great reviews so I'm I'm happy that so far it looks like it's really resonating with with readers so yeah I have pre-ordered by the way so I'm I'm really Yay. pumped with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you um yeah no worries so do you have anything coming up like do you have plans for more yeah. So, I mean, I'm going on a book tour for this book, which is really exciting. So I'll be, and it's my first, my first tour because I've been a pandemic author. So yep. everything was virtual the past few years. Um, super excited about that. But in the longer term, I'm writing, um, I just turned in a draft for my fourth book, um, which will come out next year. And it's a little bit more in uh, the same vein. At, it's, it's a little bit more speculative, just like if I see you again tomorrow is with the time loop um tool there's with with my fourth book it's kind of another step in the speculative direction which I'm really excited about um and there will be a book five that's very preliminary in terms of what it will look like but that'll come out in 2025 so yeah there's more more to come oh that's awesome I I I, I fell in love with the sky blues so so much I the whole promposal idea and what happened in mm -hmm. in the basement and everything i i just i i loved it and i'm super excited to read more from you and, and see how much more you can grow as an author so i wicked appreciate you coming on today and thanking you for what you do what you put out in the world so thank you oh my gosh well i wicked appreciate you too and i'm gonna be saying <laughs> wicked the rest of the day which is not you're, a bad you're, thing i love it no yeah it's, no i get every time so i go good. to cali i get made fun for it but it's all good <laughs> no for real though thank you that is so kind of you and yeah. it's i you know to turn the compliments around i feel like it's you are doing such important work working with young people being in education and and being an advocate for these sorts of stories like truly making a difference in, in so many ways so thank you and thank you for pre-ordering and supporting my stuff but yeah it's very good awesome <laughs> well thank you so much and and i hope you have a really good night actually or day because it's like only three o'clock for yeah, you there i have a full day ahead of me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah all thank right take so it much. easy all right bye. you too bye-bye <laughs>